were you one of those swatty kids in school that was always correcting other people's grammar and spotting mistakes that the teacher had made on the blackboard? No, I was awful, because when you pick up a book and you're like, wow, you know, this is amazing, it's a great story, I love this, that takes hard work. You do not mm. get that from the club. No, I don't want to do that. I want to do this, because this is the way we've always done it, and it works. Mm. Yeah, does it, though? On today's episode of The Engaging Marketeer, I am interviewing Ali Acosta, who is a tour de force of nerddom. And I'm going to be talking to her about how she was stranded in Thailand with no more than £100 to her name. Uh, Yet that goes a long way in Thailand, apparently. No more than £100 to her name. So she did what anybody would do and started writing content for major clients and starting a business. Uh, So I'm going to talk to her about how she did that, how she made the change from Thailand to Australia back to the UK. Why would anybody want to do that? And how she is progressed that business from strength to strength, working with clients across the world now, uh, producing content, and, of course, what she's got to say about ChatGPT. You can probably guess. I think the first thing, obviously, people need, need to know about you is, is you are an absolutely massive nerd. Huge nerd. <laughs> huge, huge nerd. So, c- could you, without nerding out completely, um, unless you want, unless you want to, that's fine. Um, do you want to explain how much of a nerd you actually are? Should I just tell you about my Sunday, and that kind of answers your question? Okay, let's hear about your Sunday. So, first of all, I went to Comic Con in Liverpool. <laughs> it was amazing. And so, um, so the some of the Stranger Things cast were there. You would have loved it. Um, Matt Smith was there on the Saturday. Oh, yeah. uh, there was some Doctor Who cast there. I saw McLovin. There were like some cast from Wednesday. Um, I, this is more for the ladies out there, but like Ian Smolderholder was out there from uh, Vampire Diaries, and also mm-hmm. I saw uh, Taylor Lautner from Twilight as a woman. I'm a massive vampire fan, <laughs> and um, so I did that. Absolutely loved it and uh, then I watched the new Dungeons and Dragons movie and without giving it away it's very good you should go watch it <laughs> I've, that, that, that's fantastic I've been to Liverpool Comic Con myself I went when was the the one earlier in the year like April no hang on what year no last year wasn't it I forgot what time of year it was <laughs> probably like October time then October time yeah I, I went dressed as a Jedi love that and my, my daughter what was my daughter dressed at just some kind of pirate type Jedi thing. She she just dresses weirdly anyway. And my my son who came walked down with us as well. He's not really into this sort of stuff, but he wore a dressing gown and, and sort of pulled off a Kylo Ren kind of look. But but was quite comfortable walking around Comic Con in a dressing gown. It was more it was more um what's what's the thing? Um Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy than it was Star Wars to be honest with you. But it, it was it's a lot still, still works. Still works. It, 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 it still works, yeah. So what what was your favourite part of, of, of Comic Con? To be honest, I was just bouncing around like a child that's been having too many blue smarties. I don't think I had a favourite. I just absolutely loved it. I only found out an hour before I was walking the dog and I oh, saw So you didn't know it was on, this wasn't planned. No, I, I saw a picture of my friend with Hopper and his daughter and his missus on Instagram. Mm. And I was like, what is this? Why? And tell, tell me why I'm not there. Mm. And um, some, some digging showed me that, that it was on. And I was like, right, call my nerdy friend. And I was like, I've got to go right now. So I didn't actually enjoy dressing up this time. Um, but I am a huge Lord of the Rings fan. I'm five mm. days into a 14-day leg piece. I, w- I won't get my leg out on camera like I, <laughs> I did before and, and save the viewers a, a treat. Mm. <laughs> And um, and I I love it. So I probably 
probably will be doing some sort of Lord of the Rings style dress. I'll probably turn up like Frodo, to be honest. It's not about being a sexy elf, just getting down. And... <laughs> <laughs> just loving it. <laughs> so what? obviously I've seen part of, well, I've seen the, the Lord of the Rings leg, but assume it's the same one and you've not got another one you're doing. No, well, no, I'm going up to the top. So I've got the oh. um, I've got the the Balrog and Gandalf for the you shall not pass scene at the moment, yeah. and I'm gonna have um, when um, I love Martin Freeman. So when um, Bilbo and Smaug are in kind of the, the Hall of the Kings with all the jewels and the Ark and Stone. So mm. that's that scene's gonna be at the top. But you know, it's nine days of of tattooing. It really hurts and it's expensive. So I'm gonna have a year off enjoy not being stabbed and then i'm going to go again and and what you're going to go again for that piece so i haven't oh right so that's the second part right um, second bit sorry (laughs) there's a freudian slip if ever there was one (laughs) it's not that kind of (laughs) sorry about that and um you you said it and then you sure did and then Mm. just the um I don't want to say gap but the gap between the two is just going to be a rings of power scene so maybe let's move on <laughs> so many puns around it uh, well lord of the rings is really opening itself up for punning yeah, isn't it, it starts, um, isn't it? Um, and i can't help notice obviously you've got a massive sleeve there what, what what's that this is the ocean so i'm a massive i love the ocean i love sharks right. i've got my bruce here I've got some sharks above me, but you can't see them. Um, and just kind of everything. I've got orcas, I've got a turtle, and that's oh, so, 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 Bruce, that's from... Is that Finding Nemo or Shark Tale? Sure is, yeah. I think it's Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo, yeah. Oh, I don't know. I'm hoping so. Because it, <laughs> it was Barry Humphreys, wasn't it? Dame Edna Average. I'm going to agree with that. Mm. <laughs> that's the voice. Yeah, because I know it was Australian. Um, I, I may as well get mine out. Oh, and then what have you got? Oh no, you, I've, I've got to take the jacket off. I've got to. Oh. I'm, I'm taking the jacket off. I'm taking the jacket off. Steady right. listeners, it's one of those shows. Yeah, I'm not sure how this is going to come out on an audio <laughs> podcast, but people need to see the video really for it to work, don't they? I've got. Um, if I. Oh, nice. What's that? Where's that from? Well, you see that that's in Japanese. So mm-hmm. when when people ask me that and they don't know what it is, I can sort of blag it that it's some kind of I don't know Japanese motto or some sort of love or respect or some bollocks like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's actually the Japanese Transformers logo. Amazing. Yeah. So only proper nerds will spot what that is because obviously Transformers is Japanese and it's written on the boxes in Japanese and that, that that's the logo. And I know it's accurate because I've had two separate Japanese people who aren't Transformers fans spot it on nights out and just shout Transformers at me really loudly. So I know it's actually written correctly. So well, That's anyway. always good. I've got a Chinese um, on my shoulder, like you. Right. Probably says loyalty, but realistically it's probably chicken chow mein or something. <laughs> um, but I am yet to find... Um, I thought I was told it was Chinese. Uh, not Nobody can read it, so I think they've just mm. basically made it up. <laughs> Yeah, there, there is one one celebrity. Um, I don't want to defame anybody now, but I, I think it's Posh Spice. I think it's Victoria Beckham has got some Chinese logo on her, which is meant to mean like respect or, or love or something, and it's some kind of soup. But at least that's what I've read on the internet. I don't know if that's genuinely true. But it, some yeah. people love soup. <laughs> so, some people love well. There's nothing wrong with a bit of soup. I'm not sure I'd want it tattooed on me, but but um, there you are. But anyway, that that that's almost enough about nerd stuff. That's almost enough about nerd stuff. Let let let's talk about content. 
Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about content, because that's what you're really about, isn't it? Mm. So I am the uh, content and comms queen, and uh, yeah, that's that's my bag. So how did you get into that? What made you want to do that? Were you one of those nerdy kids? Obviously you were nerdy. Were you one of those swatty kids in school that was always correcting other people's grammar and spotting mistakes that the teacher had made on the blackboard? No, I was awful. If you were, no. to, <laughs> if you were to look at my, um, it was Bebo, you know, as, as a millennial that I am, before before Be- Facebook, we had Bebo and Facebook. And mm. uh, if you were to look at my social channels, oh my goodness, it's embarrassing. I was a chav, for want of a better word. <laughs> <laughs> it would be capital small, capital small. Like would be like L-Y-K. I couldn't communicate and it's just awful. So <laughs> what I love about my own journey is the fact that I can't, you know, I can't say, you know, I just, just born with a gift and and it's all right for you you you've always been gifted because I wasn't I was crap in school (laughs) and English was not my forte um I loved reading but the writing part it it was something kind of I fell into later in life definitely so what what, how did you well I mean I'll be honest I'm I'm fairly similar myself my spelling was not the best in school It was not the best, and I, I I can remember back now to arguments I had over spelling where I was clearly in the wrong, um, but I still argued about it. The apostrophe on its, for example, I remember having this discussion. Where, I don't know why I remember these things. It's very weird. Um, but for some reason, it all clicked later, and mm-hmm. I don't know why. And obviously what we do now is a lot of content. Why do you think you came into what you're doing now if you weren't the best at it when you were in school? Oh, it's interesting because um, I've got two answers to that. I'll, I'll tell you my story of how I became a content writer, but also mm. um, kind of fast forwarding and reflecting back a little bit. I um, just after lockdown, I fostered uh, for a year to help out. And to go and do that process, you have to write every single job you've had, everywhere you've lived, every re- significant relationship you've had. Mm. And my list relationships excluded was at 80 so I'd lived over 50 places and I had over 30 jobs and you had to write them down and then you get thoroughly like investigated about it and I remember looking back which is really interesting because I was in my business now and if you kind of had a golden thread through all the businesses I've ever had actually there was always a part of me that wanted to do the writing but not realizing it so, for example, I was a correspondence officer at Southeastern Trains and you could be on the phone, you could be on the emails. And I loved, you know, writing to people and not using the templates, I wanted to actually get involved in that. Mm. And I did, um, I was working for live person for BT. Again, it was supposed to be canned responses, but I was like, no, I'll break through the chain. Um, I worked for BBC, a BBC magazine and, um, you, and I was in the advertising space. But I was always wanting to do advertorials. Now, you know, for most people know what that are, that is, but just for those that aren't, so editorial is what the magazine actually write. And the yeah. advertorial is paid advertisement, is paid editorial, where it might be, you know, Samsung TV or something, and they're talking about, you know, what TV you should get this summer, and then obviously Samsung comes up in the top three or whatever. And I loved those because I loved storytelling, and I loved, like, dude, this is so much more exciting. Nobody wants to see a picture. Let's talk about it. And um, and so it wasn't until I did that reflection, and that was a couple of years ago now, that made me think, oh, I think I was always supposed to be a writer. Um, and then it's like life pushing me towards it and me just running away. So going back to the other side of it, of, of what my story was, how I finally broached it, was I, um, I did the very cliche thing, really. I went travelling when I was about 26 
and mm. I had this massive plan. I had this goal of what I wanted to do. And so I started a travel blog and it's no different to lots of different people. And I really enjoyed it. And mostly I was writing just for myself. And because of that, I then started to have to think about actually, does this read well? Does it make any sense? You can't have spelling mistakes. And obviously you see that the red squiggles when you're using yeah. WordPress or whatever it was at the time. And this is, um, you know, it's about seven years ago. And uh, so I went traveling around Thailand. I got to myself to a bit of a, um, got a bit stuck <laughs> out there really. And uh, didn't want to tell anyone, didn't want to admit I had no money left. <laughs> and so I was like, well, what do I do? How do I get back to the UK? I can't, I can't tell anyone. I had like a hundred quid left to my name, um, <clears throat> which actually is a lot in Thailand to be fair. And yeah. I found this, uh, <laughs> lasted well, it's like 40p a day to eat. It was great. Oh, wow. Um, and I found this internship in the south of Thailand to learn how to write and, and be a writer, basically. Um, and you lived uh, one street away from the beach. You got fed twice a day, so skinny. It was great. <laughs> and um, and you would work. It's essentially, like, it was it was working for free, um, working as a writer. And then every week somebody new would come in. So you would have, you know, content writers, you would have journalists, you would have authors, um, magazine writers, um, and then obviously the people that were there permanently. And you're just working all day, every day. So it was working on the likes of like Cafe Pacific, Calvin Klein, those are the ones I can name. <laughs> um, and it was just writing all day, every day. And I mean, it weren't a slog because you had your laptop, you had a coconut and you were down the pool. So it's <laughs> it was really <laughs> nice. But I did that for a few months. And it was strange because despite my childhood and, and how rubbish I was, it was something I picked up incredibly quickly. And it was the first time I'd ever thought, I'm really good at this. <laughs> and I kind of looked back at the work that I'd created and I looked at the business model and thought, I think I could do this better myself. Um, so I did. <laughs> and that became the start of, so my business has got two sides to it. You've got the writing agency, which is where we write for our clients. Yeah. And then you've also got the communications coaching. So uh, we help people within businesses um, improve their written communication. And so the, the written part, being a writer, was was really how I started that that journey. Um, and then it just grew and became something much bigger. So obviously that business then was started when you came back to the UK. No. no. So I was in Thailand. And oh, you I started moved... it in Thailand? Yeah, yeah. I uh, started in Thailand with English clients. So, I, so, it's, know, so it's, an, it's, an, it's a truly international yeah. business then? Mm-hmm. And then I moved to Australia. <laughs> of course, everybody does. Everybody goes to Australia. Why not? You know. Further away. <laughs> Well, well, it's just a natural progression. Whereabouts in Australia was that? I went to Newcastle, so just um, an hour and a half above Sydney. Right, okay. And how did you find the, the transition then from being in Thailand to Australia? Because Australia, it's a lot more expensive, isn't it? Yeah, I, um, I went to get my hair cut and I remember her. I didn't even look at the price because after a year in Thailand, you just you don't care. And mm. um, she came back and I think I remember it being like $360 or something. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you already had your hair done. So you're like, you can't. You're like, okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, after that, I, I, I definitely counted the pennies. But thankfully, because my clients were English, so, mm. you know, I was more fortunate but it's still a growing business when you're kind of weeks in at this point 
um, mm. most most listeners that have their own business will know <laughs> you don't really have that much disposable income to be throwing on on, on haircuts. <laughs> you do not. No, you do not. No. So, what was it like starting the business then and being in Australia? Because obviously, you, you wouldn't have known that many people around you. No, I think what was fortunate for me is because, you know, as as I said, for my fostering, I'd had like 30 different jobs and it wasn't that I was flip flopping and I was crap and I got fired. It was more that, so for example, I started working when I was 12. I had five jobs when I was 15. I always had more than one thing going on. And so, you know, quite easy for me to gather. I had five, When you have five jobs at a time, it's easy to go through them. And... Um, so I'd already, I was already good at networking. I always, I've always had a good network. Um, and so for me, I built what was quite possibly the worst web, WordPress site I've ever seen. I've obviously developed a better understanding of marketing since. Um, I, I wouldn't be so sure about that. I've seen some horrific websites. It's a contender, let me tell you. <laughs> How I made money, I mean, uh, my writing obviously must have been mm. decent because my, my web <laughs> creation skills were less than desirable. Um, but so getting clients was actually fine. And um, generally, it's something quite confident in doing. What mm. I struggled with the most and um, why I didn't last in Australia very long was the time difference, because you mm. have english or not english sorry uk-based clients you know working on an australian time zone and you'd have your whole day out in australia and you get home and it's like 11 o'clock at night and people are like can we have a phone call can we like um i don't was it even zoom back then there would have been, i can't remember what it was there was some kind of video probably skype yeah probably uh, skype or yeah. microsoft um what was it called microsoft messenger had a video call on it as well by the by, but something like that, and yeah, um, yeah video technology wasn't really as, as used as it as it is now, um, yeah. but it was tough, really tough. And I just thought, you know what? I felt like I felt I loved what I was doing, and I felt like I had something really special. So I thought I'd rather just come back to the UK and just to see where it goes. And we're still on that journey, which is nice. Mm. So what what was the um, what was the culture shock like coming back to the UK? Because I've, I've had quite a few people on this podcast who are either British working in Australia, yeah. or Australians who have come to the UK very briefly and gone back to Australia again. Um, I'm a lot wiser than I used to be. I, I used to be a lot more tanned. Um, it, yeah, I just I, I think I turned up to my first B and I after a week in like some really summery dress and a pair of flip flops. I kind of forgot my face a little bit. I was like, oh, I'm here. <laughs> but yeah, I think um, because I never intended to go away for that long, I was only mm. supposed to go on a six-week holiday, and then I had a whole series of, of, holiday, of travel plans and jobs mm. lined up. So I used to be an outdoor instructor, which obviously lends itself to being a writer. So I was supposed to go to Thailand for six weeks, then I, I had a job lined up in Dubai, and then I was supposed to go and do the PCT, which is where you walk from Mexico to Canada, which is why I had the website in the first place, is because I was talking about that 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 journey, right? <laughs> uh, hang on. You you walk from Mexico to Canada? I used to. I know. I haven't done it yet. I'm going to. But this is the thing, is that I had this whole plan, and then I ended up going to Thailand, falling in love with it, and then mm. having this whole life, and it just kind of... It was like, and then the next thing, and then the next thing, and then the next thing. And I, to be honest, I was exhausted. I just wanted to come back, reset, and just find some roots a little bit because mm. it's, you know, I love traveling. I like having wings, but I do like having roots too, the older I'm getting, for sure. Mm. And 
how was it setting up back in the UK again then? What? How, how did you actually manage the transition? Um, to be honest, I've, I've kind of fumbled through it and I got quite lucky. Um, I, I, did, I networked really and I, I had found the right people. So I got an accountant, although I did have some dramas because I got a terrible accountant to start with who oh. cost me a fortune. She messed up both my VAT and my PAYE, which is never a good start to a business. <laughs> it's not. It's not. <laughs> a no. pricey one. And it's not something that they have to pay for, which is unfortunate. Um, mm. I got quite lucky. I, I, you know, I found the right people. I knew good people, which is why I went to Manchester. Because I don't know if you could tell from my accent, but I'm from Surrey originally. Um, but it's like my best contacts are here, and this is like my hub. It always has been. Every time I move away, I always come back. Mm. And it was I just found an office, and and within eight months, you know, started having a team. I went up to ten at one point, which was way too much for me. I'm happy with three now, but you know, we grew quite fast, quite quickly. So what what were you? What were you doing when you had 10 people then? How were you keeping 10 people busy? Um, like herding cats. <laughs> we, no, we did have the clients. It was um, it was more that, and I think a lot of us make this mistake when we start in business, mm. but it was kind of say, saying yes to everything and yeah. working with everybody, which is a fundamental flaw, error, bad choice in judgment. And I think the reason we worked with so many people was because, um, I mean, in terms of staff, is I thought we had to, fill every skill set i thought let's hire into medical let's hire into blockchain let's hire into tech and um not necessarily using those examples i've just used but i realized a lot of the work we were doing didn't bring us any value some of it we weren't really making anything on it anyway because it it was a lot more technical than what i charged because i undercharged as well which is a mistake most of us make when we start Mm. out and um we just kind of People, some people weren't really aligned with our values, and, and some people naturally drifted away, as as as, as happens. And the guys that are left have, have been with me pretty much since day dot. And what we do now differently is every year it's like I don't want the business to work me. I want to do things that I really enjoy. I'd rather work, work with less clients and do more. Mm. Um, and so it kind of went from having you know we needed 50, 60, 70 clients on the book, constant churn, to we only want you know, 10 big ones, good retainers, and then the coaching just, that will keep ticking over. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of it was just reflection on what what do we want? What what works for us? Like what, what, what do we enjoy doing? What are we passionate about? And once we aligned that, it just made everything so much smoother and much less headaches. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, 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 that's a good point on, on actually working on the stuff that you're you're passionate about, the stuff that you believe in. You, you mentioned how you... You worked with everyone that came, and you weren't you weren't saying no to people. Does that mean you had clients that, if they came to you now, knowing what you know now, there's certain people that you'd have said no, you'd have turned them away. Yeah. What? Why? Why is that? What is it about certain clients? Because from somebody listening to this who's maybe starting out in a business as 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 you did, yeah. what is the kind of thing they can look for to avoid? These are the kind of people I don't want to be working with. So there's a few answers to that question. First of all, and something that we're doing in our co- coaching, the first pillar is about um, awareness. Awareness of self, awareness of others. And what I found was I would clash as a business owner with, with a certain person, and mm. it kept happening. And um, I don't necessarily think they were bad, and I generally was just showing up as myself. I, I said to myself, why is this me? 
And what I realized was when you, and we do a lot of like psychometric testing and understanding like just the way that we show up as a, as a human. And I'm very much about forward focused thinking. I like out the box, I'm very modern. And so we talk a lot about things like challenging the status quo and, you know, not just trying to do what everybody else is doing. And so what that means is I always clash with a traditionalist. And you can't really have that in marketing. Most of the most of the listeners will probably resonate with that. But if I come to you with an idea based on, you know, what you've told me you're trying to achieve, what your goals are, what your market scope looks like, and I'm saying, right, this is the way that we stand out. No, I don't want to do that. I want to do this because this is the way we've always done it and it works. Mm. Does it though? <laughs> and um, or we want to do that, somebody else is doing it. But can you see their results? And people that have for me, this is me as an individual, but you know, it's more about it's less about the industry. Um, because, you know, as writers, our skill set is about being able to, to to mirror voice, understand tone and know an audience. You know, those are the fundamentals to writing. Um, and it's more about the actual business and, you know, the people behind it. Because you could have the, mo- the business when I'm, I say bunny is here that could be looks like the most boring thing. But actually, if you find a really good angle, it could be really interesting. Some of my best clients have been the most random products right um and so i find like you have to like the person you work with like you just don't want to work with knobs like people that don't pay on time people that you know withheld money and you know think little just little things like they don't show up to a meeting or you've got to ask them for a brief again and again and again and it's like as much as it's so important to be a good supplier it's really important to be a good good client as well because you know i saw it throughout the years when we used to have an office. We all work from home now because we're writers, we're introverts. But, you know, there used to be this 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 client. And um, I'll say John because I don't want to say his name. But I would answer the phone and say, you know, hi, John. And I would see all my team pop over their screens like meerkats. And they would look and they looked anxious. And I saw that. And, you know, it's funny in, in, in reflection. But at the time, I just thought, no, mm-mm, I'm not having the mere mention of somebody's name give my, you know, it, mental health wasn't really a talking point back then, but that's what it is, isn't it? It's, it's not comfortable for people. They don't enjoy coming to work. And you, you end up spending two or three times over what you were supposed to then just working with something that, you know, a lot easier to, to work with. And I'm not saying everyone's perfect and everyone's easy to work with, but you can eliminate things by, you know, spotting things in the early days. If people don't show up to meetings and don't at least apologize, I won't tolerate it. If, yeah. you know, if they're funny about payments, if they're not briefing, if they don't answer when questions openly, when you're trying to get, you know, a brief out of them so you can onboard them, you know, how are you supposed to work with them if they're closed? We, we've had a few like that over the years where you just know that it was not going to work out and you take them on against your better judgment because as, as you're just starting out in business, you think, well, I need this client, I need that client. I don't really know how to say no to people and you end up completely regretting it. Um, I won't mention any names, but we, we've had quite a few and you start to spot these early on, as you say now, and you can spot these signs. Um, I've had one person that's missed two two meetings with me online and the first one it's because they'd clashed with something else and they forgot about it and then they rescheduled and then the second one they emailed me I think the morning of and gone oh no I don't know how this has happened but I've got another internal event this day so I can't do it you don't know how this has happened same way it happened last time you can't manage your diary and you don't respect other people's time that's how it's happened so I've not chased up with them to rebook because quite frankly what's the point 
And I just overheard one of the guys out there now saying with a, a potential client, again, alarm bells ringing, when they're looking at us doing digital marketing and website for them, and they said, I don't really see the point in having blogs or content on a website. I think it's old-fashioned. What's the need for it? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What's the... So what's the point in having content on a website? You tell me now. Go on. What's the point in it? Genuine question. To me? Yeah, what's the point in it? Because if I say it, I'm just going to get angry about this guy. It's education. It's your it's your first impression. It's that story. Like, you know, you whatever. You sell dishcloths. Okay, well, why should I buy yours? Yeah. You just go to somebody else. And yeah. it's like, I see it like just as you meet someone in a room, it's it's you, you instantly get that ick or you mm. instantly get that, yeah, this is my person. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's mental, the attitude some people have. Um, I, I, I've been inviting, cause are you in B&I or have you just been visiting B&I? Because you've mentioned it a few times. Oh, early days I did. I, I, I've got respect for people that can. I, I feel yeah. it's a bit like a second job for me sometimes. It can be, yeah. It can be quite time-consuming. Time I've been inviting quite a few people lately because I'm, I'm trying to get a few different categories into our B&I that we're missing, in particular a graphic designer. So if you're a graphic designer listening to this, I really want to speak to you. Um, but the most common response I get from people who don't want to go is, oh, I've been to a networking event before. I don't like networking. It's not for me. It doesn't work. Or I've been to a BNI before, it doesn't work. And then they go, but if any of your members actually want someone to do what I do, I'd be happy for you to pass business my way. Oh, I bet you bloody would. That's what it's about. I've, that's what networking is, you dickhead. If you actually go and put the effort in, then yeah. you might, it's, it's not just suddenly going to come to you. Like, like this guy with, oh, I don't think there's any point having content on a website. You think people are just going to suddenly materialise onto your website as if by magic see your website and then go oh i want to work with them doesn't work like that people have a real weird understanding of how content and networking and marketing works and they just think they're owed a living on a plate and it's just going to appear yeah, in front of them definite entitlement and um about about being able to be honest i did make good business out of it just time to trick to my heart but people if it's yeah. worth doing it but um, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. And then you know, one of the the, the chat not it, challenge, one of the difficulties in our industry at the moment, obviously, is then things like what we were talk about is when you've got AI and you've got tools and you've got these seemingly silver bullets out there that like, oh, I don't need to do this anymore. I'll just get the likes of the demon chat GBT to do it for you. Me. Said it. You said it. <laughs> Yeah, that's an yeah. interesting one. <laughs> yes, yeah, so as, as as you've mentioned it, it's, it's what some people out there think is going to replace content writers. We don't need anyone to write content for us anymore because ChatGPT will do it all for us. Mm. What do you say to that? I have a lot of things to say to that. <laughs> uh, no, in short. Um, but I can I can expand on that. And um, I mean, first of all, I want to preface and say it's hardly surprising that that is the belief. And, you know, it's the same reason as to why I then went from writing to coaching, because talking what we talked about earlier with school. And I hope you don't mind me saying about your experience as well, mm. is like most of us didn't really enjoy school. You know, we, we didn't learn anything transferable. I think the only thing I can remember is bod mass in maths <laughs> and distance at speed and time, something that, that triangle, whatever that is. 
Um, so we went to school. And for most of us, we learned how to write, but, you know, still left not being able to spell. You and I are both products of that. Mm-hmm. And um, unless we went down that path, some of us went academic and <clears throat> there's a bit of help and a bit of value in that that journey. But most of us, we were just thrown into work. And all of a sudden, we're expected to write emails. We're expected to um, have a customer service tickets open. We're expected to... Um, work with all these different personalities and and be amongst our peers and and give good news and give bad news and and be leaders and you know own businesses and be able to talk to all these different clients and and know how to you know navigate different um challenges and conversations but nobody taught us how right Mm -hmm. and so it's it's absolutely not surprising that when it comes to communication it's probably the thing that people enjoy the least, yet it takes up about 80% of our workday. You know, if you're if you're a builder or you're working with your hands or you're not really client facing, that doesn't really apply and that's fair enough. But when you start owning a building company, now it's your job, you know, you went into that because you like building houses or you like, you know, bending steel or whatever it is. You didn't go into that because now you want to win contracts. And if you want to be, you know, with the big boys, you've got tenders to write, you've got award submissions to do, you've got to hire people. Yeah. And nobody at any point showed us how to do that. And so, you know, what if somebody comes along and we already on mass, some of us might enjoy it. Some of us are very good at it. It just takes a lot of time. Um, Some of us absolutely hate it. You know, as a neurodivergent woman myself, I know like my friends with dyslexia, they really struggle. Mm. Um, And if somebody comes along and says, oh, hey, we've got this piece of technology and it's going to do everything for you. You never have to write again. Of course, that sounds like an amazing silver bullet. Why wouldn't you want to take that up? But it's not. It's snake oil. And, you know, it's one of those things where I do believe that we're going to come full circle. But how long is that going to take? And at what cost and what damage are we going to do first? Because mm-hmm. it's going to make businesses really make themselves look stupid at some point. So what do you think the um, the biggest worries or, or pitfalls are with businesses using it? There's going to be that oh fuck moment. And just like, oh fuck it, sorry. Of yeah, just fuck it. Just, I don't want right. to write. The, I don't want to write the website. Let's just get ChatGPT to it to do it. I don't want to write this article. I'm busy. Let's just get that to do it. Um, I excuse me. I just need to clear my throat. <laughs> There's going to be a moment where a business is going to think, you know, somebody else can just do this for me. And you know, the biggest like fundamental reasons why it's not a good idea is. One, it's just not a human. And so the basics of writing are you, you're you're obviously writing about yourself. There's kind of your subject, what it is that you're talking about. And then there's the audience and your tone of voice. And this AI, this technology just cannot do any of that. You know, it's not plugged into the internet. It's still growing, but I can't see it growing into where it needs to go. Um, You know, it's it's inaccurate. It's not authentic. It's not genuine. There's nothing new. Um, and it's just people regurgitating rubbish. And I've had a few experiences, and, and you had a really interesting story, which I think would be really good to talk about. But, you know, yeah. somebody reached out to me. As a writer, I obviously get the odd joker that thinks it's hilarious to goad me on it. <laughs> Chat GPT, you're out of a job. Great. Good, <laughs> good message. Thanks. Um, and somebody backfired, and we've got a good relationships, so it's not about them. But they tried to rewrite my LinkedIn profile using this tool and um, said, oh, look, I've improved your website, your LinkedIn profile for you. And I did it in like a parody way. 
Um, first of all, it came back and it said Ali Acosta, he, and it kept talking to me about me like I was a man. Mm. Um, now, unless I grew an appendage that I'm not aware of, <laughs> uh, that's not factually correct. And, you know, he hadn't even noticed. And the problem with these tools, what most people do is read the first sentence thing. Yeah, that looks all right. But imagine mm. sending that to a client. Yeah. And that client's worth, you know, your paycheck for the for the year. And, you know, it's just not professional. It just, you look silly. You know, it's like, well, <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not, that's not me. Um, and then the second one they did was, um, they said, oh, well, let me rerun it. Then they put in that I was female, obviously. And then the four pillars, um, which is very different. It's, it's, a, it's a philosophy. It's got nothing to do with the gender within the business. Um, then it came back and said, the four pillars is, is, is um, created by four women. And I was just like, it's just, no <laughs> uh, so it just makes stuff up it's factually mm. inaccurate um it it can make you look really daft um in a world where that not necessarily political correctness but inclusivity is important yeah i've seen a lot of examples where going public would make it look land them in some very hot water <laughs> and you know it's just generally it's the inaccuracy. It's not good. You're going to end up spending more time fact-checking, making sure the tone is right, you know, trying to apply it to your audience, where, to be honest, you'd be better off just learning the soft skills to write in the first place. You know, it might not be perfect, and that's okay. But from where people are right now to where they could be, it's not a massive gap. But the problem is when trying to use a tool to get there is going to cause major issues. Mm. And I, th I think the problem is as well that there's a lot of kids using it for homework that they can just generate their homework in two seconds, job done, and nobody is any the wiser. Um, but you alluded to the the story I've got, and I, I'll cover that briefly as well because we have a lot of writers and we have a lot of people apply to be writers for us because we use freelance writers. And since ChatGPT, writer applications for us has gone up by about five hundred percent. So it's people just going to ChatGPT, putting in the sample brief that we give them and firing it back to us, hoping that we'll give them a job, paying them to just copy and paste into ChatGPT. But we can tell that it's AI content because we use AI content checkers. And they're fairly accurate because AI content has a bit of a passive tone to it, uh, whereas uh, a proper writer will actually cite sources and write something in an active tone. But the big issue is, because we're giving them the same sample brief for the content, ChatGPT is producing content by each person that does it that's very, very similar. So the content is coming back the same. It's, it's failing a duplicate check because it's identical. And the last paragraph is all starting with the exact same sentence because it's got a lot of, a lot, a lot of um, what would you call, staple lines that it uses again and again, which are easy to spot. But the worst bit was one of the writers who had, um, it was a foreign name, but he was trying to sound English, so he put in uh, how to write a profile as though he were somebody from England, and he actually left in the prompt from ChatGPT when he sent it to us, which said something like, sure, a sample profile written in the name of somebody called John Charles would sound like this. And then it wrote it. It's like, you've just copied and pasted the whole fucking lot, stuck it into a Word document and emailed it to us, and thinking, we're now going to pay you to write content, but it doesn't work. And that's the kind of crap that it's producing, the kind of absolute laziness, as you say, that you could end up sending something to a client that is just total bollocks. 
And while it's humorous, <laughs> there are <laughs> major concerns off the back of that because that affects us in a couple of ways. The first way being our industry and being diluted by that. And mm. I had a meeting yesterday, which I, I ended up walking out of, to be honest, politely. Um, and it, really? was a, it, was a, it was a marketing agency, a new one. And uh, yeah, and saying, mm. oh, uh, we'll, yeah, we'll just use ChatGPT to write all our clients' content. And I was like, no, I'm, no, I've got no respect because there's no way I would, I would recommend you to my clients. I wouldn't use anything. And I just think as a marketeer, you should know better. Um, and, you know, I, I've been in industry kind of six years and I know yours is a lot more than mine. But, you know, that combined skill, that knowledge None of that is brought into the equation. It's not considered like how a business is run, you know, how the goals and the missions are. And when you when we know what we're looking for, you know, we can spot that. But then when you've got, you know, the general public and, and, and most business owners that maybe have an interest in marketing, but you know, it's not really their bag, it, you know, it could feel quite easy to get duped and you don't know what you don't know what good content looks like, but you think it looks okay. But you don't know that that person's done the same thing for ten other builders. And now I don't know why I'm on builders today. <laughs> Think of a different industry, <laughs> but um, but you know what I mean. And so now you've got you've got ten clients, ten websites because it's a website company. Yeah. So if they get ten of your competition, and actually they they specialise in 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 one space, they were in um, hospitality, right? So mm-hmm. they because they specialise in one space, what you're going to do? You're just going to put the what, same website, same website, same website, same website. And from a technical perspective, from an SEO perspective, first of all, SEO is 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 barely con- considered in the first place. And um, then you're going to get the, the the potential blacklisting. So even Interflora, the the flower company, they blacklisted mm. themselves back in the day. I don't know if you know the story. They, I think they made like 100 landing pages or whatever it was. And uh, they wanted to do Mother's Day flowers and they wanted to do all the different towns. So they literally just copy and pasted their own website, made it 100 times, and now they can't rank properly for, for certain things because of their own blacklisting. And, and you know, it's, it's the same thing that... that it's going to happen and you know it's our responsibility as marketeers to know our industry to know our space to keep our clients safe and to create stuff that's going to allow our, our clients to perform so how mm. can i as a professional ever agree that something that's you know not got any authenticity in it isn't going to tell a story you know all the things i mentioned earlier is completely neutral and devout of anything useful that's 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 never going to bring value to a client no, it's not, and 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 what you said there about um, Interflora, you're right. I mean, there was a famous one years ago about BMW. BMW's German website got blacklisted from Google because of something it did from an SEO perspective that was against Google's rules. And even though they were BMW, they got booted out. They got a massive penalty. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're one of the world's top car manufacturers or whether you're... Um, a restaurant in Didsbury, you're going to get in trouble if you do this sort of stuff. And the fact you've just said there's an agency, presumably in Manchester... I'm not going to give any facts. not going to give any facts. They're not in my network anymore, don't worry. Probably in Manchester. That's quite happy to say, oh, we'll just use ChatGPT for all of our client content. It's a frightening concept. It's a frightening concept. On that note, sorry to interrupt you, and I had this conversation with somebody else. I think it's important... For us, um, both as marketeers and to listeners, 
to start talking to our suppliers and asking them about their processes. Because if mm. somebody starts slipping in ChatGPT into their process, trying to save time and money so that they can make a bigger margin, that's something that you need to be aware of so mm. that you can at least make your own decision. I can't, I can't tell you what that decision should be. Personally, wouldn't touch mm. it with a barge pole. Mm. But it is frightening because these are the kinds of things. And marketing is one of those industries where, and I've learned this the hard way by partnering with, with the wrong people, but, um, it's very easy to pull the wool over a client's eyes yeah. because it's just like, well, I just, I, I write words, right? I, I, I do ads, I, I do social media and um, we can prove that now with, with long-standing relationships, testimonials and, and case studies. But, you know, it's easy to say, oh, I can do this for you. But it's quite hard to, to know what to look for as someone as an outsider to scratch under the hood of, okay, well, how do I know that this is any good? And, you know, this is what our job is to, to know and educate and, and help and, you know, make good networks and make good referrals. And I, I personally wouldn't refer a business that you use technology in the wrong way. I wouldn't say not using technology entirely. I'm not, I'm not against all of these tools. Like there are other tools that have a place. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Ramily, for example, or Hemingway, they can be useful as part of a wider strategy. So if somebody, um, if somebody is, you know, they've got dyslexia, or they do have struggles with their spelling, you know, it can be useful to be able to spot at a, at a glance. And to be honest, if I've got a massive piece of writing, I'll throw it in at, at, at just throwing it in first, just to catch some of the easy stuff. It'll, it'll save me 10 seconds on, because I have different formatting. I always do different kind of, um, you know, speech marks or whatever, just to catch the easy ones. But then yeah. I'll go back and I'll go to the start of my process and I'll do it manually and I'll know what to look for. I've got a checklist that I go through every time. Um, Hemingway can be really valuable to some um, people that are self-writing that just to see when you go on and on and on and on and on in sentences but it doesn't go more than that it's just being able to visually see okay that's no good and it's the same with you you know using anti-plagiarism and technology to be able to 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 crawl the internet there are lots of really good tools out there I'm not against technology I'm just the use case of chat gpt or google whatever it is to replace the writing within your business within your professional space don't buy into the snake oil that's mm. just not good for that and and, and what you said then that you as, as a business you should be querying your suppliers to see what it is that they're doing from a business perspective this is really difficult for them to do because yeah. they, if they, if they're paying an agency or a copywriter to produce content for their website, to produce content for their SEO, or even to produce their website, it's very hard for them to know if that agency or that copywriter is using AI tools. Because how would they know that? I mean, if we, for example, got rid of all of our writers, because yeah. we produce thousands of pages of content a month, if we sacked all of our writers and just used ChatGPT for everything, we'd save ourselves probably 10, 15 grand a month which would be pure profit. But we wouldn't do that from a moral perspective. It's the wrong thing to do. And from a results perspective, it's the wrong thing to do. So it would, it just would never happen. But as you've said, there are agencies that are doing that. How does the business owner know? I would say because it's not very good, you would see a massive drop in quality. Hmm. And you would notice your tone changing. And it would be not as good as what you're used to. It would be harder, I think, engaging with a new supplier, but generally what would be produced would be pants. I'm, I'm yet to see something mm. that has any substance. So I think quality 
quality would be something to look for. And if you do notice a drop in it, that's when I would think, mm, you know, what's going on here? Because if the, you're paying for a service, if you're paying for manual skills, you should mm. get manual skills because that's when you get those results. Yeah. And as well, if you're, if you're paying somebody to do the content for you and they're using ChatGPT, what the hell are you paying for? You may as well use it yourself. If, okay. if the crap content is there, just use it yourself. It takes you 30 seconds, you know. Why pay someone else to press the button for you? Yeah, a lot cheaper to make the same mistake. Exactly. And I, I was just thinking then, there was there's a Facebook ad I keep seeing that I, I'm meaning to out it because it's really pissing me off. There's a Facebook ad I keep seeing for... There's this woman on this page and she's saying how she sells thousands of books a month and she doesn't write any of them. And it's using... You know, it's basically... It's, it's a course on how to use AI software to generate your own books to sell on Amazon. I think, what a horrific concept. It's yeah. just going to be thousands of people pressing buttons to generate books that they're selling and making money that some people are going to be buying that's just going to be ecking drivel. What a, what a world we're living in. As somebody that's written books that have been published by Penguin for their clients, <laughs> uh, I can tell you that process is a very, very painful and arduous one mm. for good reason. Because when you pick up a book and you're like, wow, you know, this is amazing. It's a great story. I love this. That takes hard work. You do not no. get that from a click. No. Imagine, imagine going back in time and, and, and saying to like Shakespeare or, or Homer or, <laughs> or Aeschylus, yeah, you know, I know, I realise you put a lot of effort into writing this, but um, a few hundred years, we'll just be able to press a button and generate one of these automatically. It'll be great. Nobody will care. Well, we certainly won't be able to do that in the future if kids stop, start using it for their homework. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there'll be nobody that can even string a sentence together without pressing a button. No creativity left. It'll be horrific. Um, so we, you're talking about your, your pillars there. We haven't even gone through those. We're running out of time already. So what, what you mentioned the first one. What, what were the others? So uh, my four pillars is the um, four pillars to becoming a better communicator, better writer. Yeah. Um, so the four pillars are the first thing is awareness. And um, it's something that most of us are aware to some point, but we have never done this whole deep dive into to who we are, how we show up, what our values are, you know, what our communication style is. Um, we're just kind of bumbling through um, and we're not we're not communicating with intent. And so the self, the awareness pillar looks at that. And it's not about changing who you are. It's not about saying that you're wrong or that you're, you know, you're a knob. You know, some, some people are, it might be worth working on that, but <laughs> it's not about outing anyone. It's not about minimizing yeah. anyone. It's just, it's being able to say, okay, who am I? How do I show up? Then within that same pillar, it's about being able to read the room. Um, because, you know, there are going to be different personalities. I In my book, I go for a very simple four-colour system. Everyone's got a different one. Um, but, for example, um, the reds are very direct-driven. Generally, your bosses, your CEOs and your leaders and your greens, your analyticals, your numbers, your slowers, let's think about it, um, kind of people. And, and then sometimes they'll see a clash. But if you know that you, you work within the finance space, it's like, okay, well, how can I lean into this person and how can I make this communication more comfortable for everybody what are their needs how can i meet their needs better because as communicators everything that we do is our fault you know if we're successful at it it's our fault if we're not so successful at it it's also our fault um but the other side of that which makes com communication really difficult <laughs> is that it's also a two-way street so 
as much as we can do, I, I mean, I still have clashes. I'm not perfect. I mis- make mistakes all the time, but at least I'm aware of what the mistake is. <laughs> mm. And um, and so the more, more that all of us can make an effort to communicate more effectively, especially in the workplace, then we can, you know, our emails will land, our LinkedIn approaches will be more effective, our, uh, we'll be better at our jobs, we'll be more effective leaders, we have more productive businesses. And, and that's all from awareness. And a lot of that work is missing right now, which is basically the whole point. Um, once you do that, the second pillar is structure. So although that work does then improve your communication ability in, in real world, in, in these meetings, in, in BNI or networking, whatever it is, um, it's the structure of what you're applying that to. So is it like a LinkedIn post? Is it a tender? Is it a business proposal? Because you each of them have like do's and don'ts and things to think about. Then the next thing is writing and the last thing is editing because what most people will do is um they'll write and writing is supposed to be messy my writing isn't clean which is why i much prefer writing to talking because i always say the wrong word <laughs> when i'm talking <laughs> writing's easy you can do it like 10 million times um but they get writing and editing confused because they do it at the same time they don't give them space themselves sorry <laughs> i don't give themselves space to be creative they'll say right how can i make the most perfectly formed sentence and then how can I make this perfectly formed sentence, perfectly formed paragraph? Mm. And they say it's take forever on it and it, it's uncomfortable. They don't like it. And that's why people get writer's block. They just think, oh, crap, this is rubbish. I don't want to do it. Separate them. Be messy and then be clean. The difference mm. between what I do and what my, my, a lot of other people do is I throw up on a page and then I edit, edit, edit till it's ready to go out. Other people might throw up on a page and then click post and send. <laughs> And so the the kind of start and end of that process, that initial awareness phase and that ending editing phase, and don't worry, there's no grammar lessons in there. Um, <laughs> it's just kind of really the fundamental that that's missing. So awareness, structure, writing and editing. And those four things, very simple philosophy, it's about 120 pages in my book. It's quite easy to grasp and then apply. Um, mm. Those then kind of make communication a little bit more comfortable. And and what's the the name of the book and where can it be bought? It's called I'll show you. Hold on. <laughs> it's called How to Write When You're Not a Writer, um, and you can buy it on our website. So I guess I can give you the link to pop below or wherever. Yeah, yeah. You you send the link over. I will put the link below the uh, below the podcast. So on the on the video, if you're watching on YouTube, it'll be below in the description. If you're on Apple or Spotify or, or whatever other podcasty things are available, uh, it'll be below in the in what's called the show notes uh, oh. below the. <laughs> yes. Um, so we, we we are almost out of time. I can't believe this is just sort of flown by, and and we we've barely talked about nerdy stuff, um, really. Um, so if somebody wants to to work with you, uh, whether it be on the on on the pillars on the coaching side of the business, or whether it be on the content side uh, to work with you there, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Uh, LinkedIn is a big way to catch me. So Ali Acosta again. We'll, we'll see my see my name and see my handles. Um, or they can reach out on the website, which is just um, www.thefourpillars.co.uk. And so we've got Insta links and everything on there. Excellent, excellent. And what what's the future? Where's your next steps? Where are you going to be taking the business next? So, well, for me, my big focus is personal brand. So um, quite like this conversation that we're having now, I just want to kind of get out there and spread the word because the more people I can kind of speak to, the more people I can help. So we've got some really exciting things this year in terms of like talks, keynote panels, um, a few more podcasts. So, you know, stay tuned for those. And if you haven't heard my name yet, you probably will. (laughs) (laughs) 
So you're looking to get on onto stages and, and, and do talks in in front of front of large audiences and stuff. Yeah, getting on um, getting on stage, speaking in front of an audience. Um, Even though you'd rather write than speak. I could do both. <laughs> <laughs> I have to write a good speech. Mm. Mm. I'll forget the whole thing. <laughs> All right, fantastic. Um, It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. It it, it literally has just flown past. I I thought we'd only been speaking for about 20 minutes, but um, we haven't. We haven't. So thank you very much for for guesting on the podcast. I've I've absolutely loved speaking to you. Um, It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You're welcome. Cheers.